Peritopia, please welcome back to the show my favorite man to brainstorm consciousness with, Tioka's and Ghost Horse, or should I say Heartstorm consciousness with. No, I guess I shouldn't say that, because I I sound stupid when I say things like that. In any event, Tiokasin is coming to us from a cafe in Manhattan, so uh, when you hear clanking and people chattering and background noise and all that, that's why. Um, all right, let's get to it. Here is a man who needs no introduction, I, I think, at this point. He is your friend and mine. He is Tiokasin Ghost Horse. Tiokasin, thank you very much for doing the show yet again. Oh, no problem. Glad to be here, Jeremy. Thank you. Let's uh, let's get right into something here. You had uh, IM'd me about the Stephen Hawking's article and uh, you know his thoughts on what would happen if if there were alien contact. And you had you know while people are running around saying, "Well, what does this mean about aliens?" You sort of had a different perspective on it. Why don't you share that with us? Well, if you can remind me, <laughs> you can remind me. I'm getting into so much. Uh um, you know, rhetoric, I guess you would call, I would call it that because I'm trying to figure out what I would really think about what, uh, Stephen Hawkins would say and how as a native we would think about these things and basically telling, uh, other people who are not native or, or not, I mean, that there's something else happening. There's another agenda going on here. And I, I don't think we are really truly paying attention uh, we're only taking it for face value and not between the, the cracks, as, as if you will, to what, what is really saying about this society, this, this country, uh, and the people who think that way about, you know, it, it's, it's so obvious that we're looking for this, this physical thing to happen, and yet all the time there's something else happening underneath our, our very, very lives living here in this democracy, so-called democracy, but... We're trying to figure out, you know, how can we save through all of this, Jeremy, if I think about it, you know, he's telling us that here's how we can save ourselves. Here's what we should be doing. But, but I think he, he is in a realm of his experience in a wheelchair. And I don't know his history prior to being in a wheelchair, but he's giving it from what he can sense and what he sees. And, and obviously he's studied a lot of people in the world uh, from his chair. But when I talk to you about these things, it's almost like I have to really learn how to convey what he's saying. And, and if I can go back to original, his original article talking about this is what happened to the Native Americans, so we better be aware. It's, he's telling us that, look, we're thinking about the very same things. We bring that thinking over here, and yet we're approaching the space people uh, basically the same way as if we came over here and it's God's uh, will that we do this and come and kill off the thousands of not millions of people and then go on and, and keep excusing ourselves because we need to explore another part of the universe because we're actually killing ourselves, but yet our aggressiveness to go out into the, the world, uh, the universe as well, and approaching that the same way, the very same way that we... that. Europeans or Americans now have come and, and uh, you know eliminated the native consciousness from this land, um, supposedly. But I think the, the aggressiveness that he's talking about is more an emergency about, you know, look, we have to look at our own hierarchical reasoning and, and touch that and get into more of a metaphorical thinking about what can we do to, to basically save ourselves and not the earth, but 
you know, because we're the ones committing war against Earth. It's against Mother Earth, and I think he is talking generally about the underground um, and how susceptible anyone can be if we were to be attacked from out of space or, or even, even if it's not going to be under attack, it's more or less a, a uh, befriended by these people from outer space. But I think it's all in how we as people have a consciousness about being afraid of so many things that those who would come from another world see and feel and know intuitively that consciousness of be we as humans are and not really being in touch with our, our true essence of what beings really are is, is an inclusive inclusivity and not exclusivity inclusive how would you say that? Exclusivity in viewing like we're the chosen ones, we're the most intelligent, we're the most evolved, and, and yet we, we, we often refer to being amoebas when we first started this whole thing out. And, and that, that's like the, the, that type of thinking, I think, is, is really what keeps us away from truly knowing who we can be and what we really are. Um, and can be, uh, as I said, in evolving and spiritual, because they're, they're looking, I, I think, they're looking to how far we've come uh, energetically or spiritually or sacredly in this evolving process of becoming that human being rather than thinking that we are number one in the planet and we're the only life and stuff. So I think, if anything, it's a, a disease viral form of, of uh, thinking that they're looking at, and I don't think they they want that. You know, they're not going to get along with that mentality or that that energy. And if and I think some that are down below, we are afraid of of being exposed. And uh, you know, as we as I know, as a native person, Americans don't know how to deal well with their guilt of what what has happened here. And and I, I give kudos to to Stephen Hawkins because he actually came out with saying, hey, "Look." We're approaching space the same way we've destroyed the native people here in this country. It's interesting, too, because you say, you know, what, what these intelligence would be looking at and what they wouldn't be looking at. And I just touched on last week's episode um, that at least since the 1940s, I mean, certainly you can go back as far back as you can go. But uh, let's just keep it simple and say since the 1940s, the so-called modern UFO era, uh, basically what we've been doing is... Approaching the unknown, um, which is a hypothetical at this point. And what have we done with it? We've gone from scientific scrutiny and wonderment into, um, you know, sort of space brothers of the contactee movement, which is, you know, projecting onto this unknown what we wish we were, into evil aliens, projecting onto this unknown what we fear uh, most, which is, again, a reflection of what we are. And and then in terms of... um, indigenous culture, I mean, doesn't that also smack of what happened when uh, the Europeans came over here, which is they came as friendly brothers, and then they brought out the guns. So it went from brotherly love to evil, you know, foreigners. So I kind of feel like I I look at this and I think this is, we're seeing what would happen if there were contact openly right now. This is sort of the virtual reality model of what would happen. This is what we do with it, you know, from the politics of, you know, wanting disclosure from some, you know, fictitious 
Alien Alliance, uh, so that you know we can do cosmic NAFTA and GATT agreements with gray aliens to the sort of religious stuff that we build up around them to the just the infighting and the warring and the uh, even just the very I, I guess American thing or Western thing of replacing educated thought or even just well thought out thought uh, with whatever my perspective is, you know, me, 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 whatever I think is important. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what we've sort of, we, so we've degraded, we've devolved, and, you know, it's like we're, we're the apes in 2001 touching the obelisk, and instead of evolving into tools, we've devolved into sort of eating our own, warring, and seeing that we're approaching this with, I think, the same mind that came over to American shores. Yeah, I, I really do think that, you know, and I think I did mention to you that, you know, uh, we have gotten into either three three areas of uh, giving ourselves up to whether uh, we are worthy enough to go to heaven or whether or whether to live in fear of going to hell. And there's no consciousness about the reality of what is now here. And and most people say, well, then that doesn't make does that does that make room for atheists? If you if you're going to be an atheist, then you know there's really no heaven or hell, and there's there's no um, being here that there is no God alive or even energy of it. And those are the three things that, that uh, people who are avoiding what is real go to right there. They have an explanation, there's an answer, and we're not dealing with what is really here, which is the energy of who they are um, and how we survived um, being thrown into those dimensions of, I'm, I'm af- I want to go to heaven, but I'm also afraid of hell. And it's simply a wish list, you know, and those who say that they're atheists don't believe in God or whatever, that's fine. And the dogma, I don't believe in dogma, that, that's, that's, if that's atheist or whatever. I, I do know that my cynicism, you know, sometimes comes through. And when I talk about consciousness and, and saying those white people or those Europeans, um, and see, that's my problem. I have to, to uh, sort of... Um, interpret or translate and it's almost impossible i was thinking about what can i say to jeremy about how i think um and what's going going on with the native world right today and how how we've been taught to look at others achilles heels first and foremost and bring that to light and say see they're wrong too and i think our problem as native people is we become colonized in the set that we also think like uh, hierarchy, hierarchy, patriarchal people blaming other people for our problems. And I think that's what we have done as Americans, and, and that's what we're trying to do to whatever we, forms we are thinking, methods we call those those aliens. Um, I think, you know, our first encounter as Native people, we're seeing these three ships, uh, strange crafts floating out of the blue, you know, and they were the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria, and look what they came come to do with us. And we were who we are in our consciousness. We approached them with generosity, and yet this is what they did to us. But I don't think as Americans they've ever had that done to them. There's been no aliens coming out of the sky and treating them wrong. Um, it's all about, oh, we Americans treat everybody wrong and always include other people. And when, when we come down to understanding them, it's often we try to understand them through our um, uh, transcendent technology as salvation points that look, oh, those poor Indians, oh, those poor aliens, oh, we have to save the world, we have to save the earth. It's almost like we always remove ourselves before we can get into the altruism 
of, of the human species, and, and yet the civilization is the one that often removes themselves and cho- chooses themselves because of elitist thinking. And, you know, let's blame the Indian for us because he's always criticizing us. Let's blame them because, you know, they don't know enough like we do as Americans, and yet, you know, poor people, they're not going to, look, they still believe in sacredness or magic, and, you know, that that's that's good, you know, but... You know, they're not going to live if they don't get with the system. And I, I'm probably wandering as usual here, but I don't think um, if you hear it, if you do hear a song in Lakota and you can hear the, the familiarness, the, the familiarity, familiarity of the song that, that resonates through all of us and the sound um, of earth. And that may be so deep that we don't even know that that energy is a reality of knowing, you know, that we are actually here and not in heaven or hell or waiting for some somebody come out of the, the to come out of the sky and save us. And I I I get more aggressive as you say as I would probably put it now about look people this is an urgency you're still talking about it you're still using reality putting it up on a screen. And you're not living the reality because how can anyone see a reality living in this society and still defining it as culture? And I often get quandary about why people, I don't know about other countries, but I'm, I'm familiar and active and observing Americans is how much they run into denial and, and the, the assort, assortment of, of denial that they have. And they don't know what to do with it because guilt runs rampant in the society. They don't know what to do with that because sin is not real for us, and it, that's wasted energy. And I think there, there's a different language that needs to evolve out of the trouble. We have a word for that in our language, kasat. Um, it's the name of the pro, uh, CD uh, uh, we put out a few years ago. Kasat means wisdom out of trouble or understanding coming from struggle. And I think Americans haven't struggle enough to know that there is another consciousness that's already here because jeremy you're hearing oh the the feminine conscious we have to pay attention to that now but it's it like it's new but it's always here what is mother earth native people have always known that we are losing it too we are losing it because we are told to think differently because this society does not want to believe that what we are saying um I think the realities of, of our existence have become so mi- misunderstood and distorted at this point that when a real native stands up and speaks the truth at any given moment, that, that he or even she is not not likely to be, to be listened to or even in a, in a word believed, but will probably be probably be contradicted and or corrected by that very same citation of some non-native and totally inaccurate expert, PhD, or someone who thinks they know about native mind, consciousness, and spirit. Right. How much of that do you think is that um, people need to, when they hear something new that resonates with them, they still need to put it into their own words before it's real to them? And so the person who's been saying it the longest is always the person um, who is ignored in the end. And, and that because by the time you've incorporated it into yourself, you go, oh, well, I already knew that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, every, you know. Then it becomes common wisdom. Oh, everybody knows that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Been there, done that, and that—that's the arrogance of, of our ignorance as, as Americans, how we're taught. And you—you you just uh, touched on something about the word "new." That if it's not new, then it, it's not worth being looked at or observed or anything like that. So it's always this new brand of thinking, um, and hopefully, it comes from our own methodical, hierarchical, rational, dogmatic thinking sources um, um, hopefully it comes from that and if it's not then it's rhetoric and that, that doesn't count because it, we're the, still the highest and, and most creative and imaginatory uh, people on earth because look we have the bomb look uh, we have TV look we have all these technology advances uh, technological advances over any other civilization and we have God behind us so you know take care not to believe those people. Those people are good enough. They're going to be dying off because, you know, they. it's nice that they're in the jungle running around naked and all that stuff. And, you know, it, but we removed ourselves from it. We're better than the dirt um, that we walk on. So, you know, it, it's that consciousness that has, has disconnected us and, and really totally lost foundation um, and, and left us in the illusion of it. Do you think that we are disconnected in a different way? I, I keep going back to, in my head, uh, something that you'd said originally way back when, which is that written language really isn't all it's cracked up to be, basically, that, that it's not a higher form of, of thinking. And I, I'm reading um, this book. Uh, I'm still trying to finish it, Distracted by Maggie Jackson, who was a guest on the show. And she has a nice chapter there towards the end, basically agreeing with you and basically saying that, yeah, that's what, you know, research shows that, in fact, it is unnatural uh, to read and to write and to, uh, that's why in schooling, reading and writing take the most time. Um, That takes the most schooling because your brain is not wired to do that. Uh, And then I think, so what is it that we've actually done with this reading and writing? Well, we've created metaphors and we've created things to look at and feel things about, but if I'm an indigenous culture that doesn't have that, um, do you think it's fair to say that, that for instance, the Lakota are, um, metaphor is integrated into who you are, it's not separated out as this separate thing that you read about and you, you know, ponder in the, the way that Westerners do, that it's actually a part of who you are? Well, yeah, and here I have to be careful because people would probably think that, oh, he's one of those purists uh, or fundamentalist, but I think spirituality defines all of who we are and that runs through all of us as energy. It's whether or not we recognize it or not, but the risk of possibility of, of being um, you know, unpopular and, and stuck in salvation-pointed mentalities or religious philosophies. You know, think about it, Jeremy. They often rationalize away reality because it's easier to deal with spiritual agnosia. I think I wrote that to you and let you know that. Um, and to actually do the work, and what I term as ability, inability, what it really means is the inability to interpret sensations because of brain damage. But here I, I put it in part as inability to interpret intuitive sensations and, and to recognize things spiritually because of that brain damage. But in this case, the connection would be being to the land, which is severed, and damaged, if you will, that we, it will need special treatment beyond treatment beyond what science and religion can deliver. So when I was growing up as a younger person, 
Mother Earth, you know, in fact, it was there every day of my life. And, and uh, everything that I needed to know still today came to me uh, by the age of eight or nine. And, uh, and it's an extremely sophisticated scientific or zoological or botanical knowledge if the words are there. And, and I came to this society and, and ran into the educational system along with other young natives my age. See, we were giving all these, given all these environmental earth sciences tests and all of us, uh, as soon as we learn how to speak English and figure out the rationale or the logic of, of this language, is that all of us scored in a 90 percentile. When we were third graders, we were doing 11th and 12th grade work when it came to environmental sciences. Western educational schools are not offering any of that. It is offering a, a, a primitive, alienating process of teaching in a European language, this one, a curriculum that has almost nothing to do with life here on Earth. It, it basically de-indigenizes you, if I will, um, to a point where we have to, again, use, quote-unquote, reality rather than live reality. And the language it, it uses, quote-unquote, rationalizes why everyone is at fault. Because it comes from a lack of philosophy, a lack of philosophy, excuse me, and almost as if it is starving and thirsting for spirituality. So I'm being trying to be articulate here, not to go to this place of judgment, but it seems impossible because unless I use religious um, emergentism, I think that's the word, and physicalism, there are no, there, these are sort of problems when it comes to explaining this consciousness to explain sacredness. Right. I, hope I hope you're following me. Yeah, I am. And, and I just, I think there's a lot of, it's an interesting conversation to have because there's a lot of nuance. You know, people, when they talk about consciousness or the new consciousness or any of that sort of stuff, you know, we think in these giant grandiose terms, but there are these simple little twists in, in human beings that, um, that are more interesting, I think. And one of them I was thinking about is... The fact that, for instance, Standing Elk is now, his name is now Golden Eagle, right? Um, so there's that name change. Now, I can't, as a, a white man, I, I can't understand going through a name change that has deep meaning with what I'm going to be doing or, or who I am becoming or any anything like that. And yet here's people that do that. And how does that inform how you think, how does that inform how I think, you know, just that one little thing, um, how does that inform a life? And then if we're sharing the planet together, you know, why is it that one set of mind gets to say, well, this is what reality is, and this is, you know, if aliens come, this is what it's going to be, and this is how we'll handle it. Who's the we that, that that person is talking about? Because we're not all on the same page. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, and um, hmm, it's... it's uh, it goes back to where the, and I hope this makes sense, the Western compulsory education, um, it really taken its toll in some aspects and educated the wisdom out of the indigenous mind and has brought rationale explained in this language or foreign concepts that are unrelated to this land. And it pretends to have conquered. So you got the word pretends. So you experience the experience that I have as a native person who lives would live as, as the voice of Mother Earth 
in that sense, as we have always called her Mother Earth and not a planet Earth, has to encounter a different paradigm and always running into the Western reasoning based on the denial of that very same indigenous thinking process. And in experience, the indigenous peoples have had to endure this systematic Western institution based on disenfranchisement of our land and cultures and values. And, and right where I sit now, I, I can tell you that it doesn't work. And with the loss of those surroundings due to its domination and social Darwinism, if I may, and um, other theories that basically say you must dominate our environment and never defer to non-hierarchical thought of living with Earth, it always says that the survival of the fittest is the way that we all can make it through here. But if you think about the indigenous mind, the indigenous peoples who have survived what those aliens, Europeans, have brought that we will always continue to survive because we have become masters at it. So when I think about the, the disconnection, and you hear in an environmentalist world, the green activists, they work, their work is often in exclusionary viewpoint of not considering it important enough to include indigenous nations and peoples. Well, I've always engaged in, in the political, the environmental, or the economic struggles for our very survival, but in conjunction with Earth. And, you know, when, when I run into these green, these new green people, it's just a lighter version of capitalism. So this is the type of thinking when it comes to trying to explain our issues to, to um, more alert people, more aware people such as yourself. It still has to refer, because of the simple language I'm using, to that very same approach of uh, uh, American exceptionalism, I call it, that we are different. And those uh, people identified as indigenous are the less civilized. And, and it's nice that they're the defense of nature and therefore the survival of the species. It depends on them, but that's just words. There's no real dialogue as far as physical thinking, um, especially the way we easily accept our own conceptual mode of intellectuality in this language. But we need to think about that science that we talked about, or about that religion, and those movies, and those films, and videos for that matter, and, and, and how we so easily give approval to what and how we see everything through Western eyes. And that has to stop, Jeremy, because otherwise, you know, that, this is the language of control. This is the language of manipulation. This is the language that keeps you in the box. And I imagine from, from your point of view, I mean, could you even imagine aliens or anything coming here and, and preferring to speak to the Western mind over Lakota just in terms of – or, you know, pick any indigenous people. You know, anyone who's more um, – I know people don't like the word holistic anymore, you know, but holistic, more whole. Uh, because the rational uh, is certainly a component, but it shouldn't be the whole thing. And in us, it's pretty much, in our culture, it's the whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. And in, clearly, it's something that you, uh, you know, uh, these are the wrong words to use, but have mastery over, something that you uh, understand well and articulate rationally well, but also clearly, there's more going on with you than the average American, let's say. <laughs> I mean, you've got more of a wholeness to you than um, our politicians do, let's say. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So how I just want listeners to think about that for a minute. You know, if if the people in the minority in this country are the ones that have the better voice, that have the more whole voice, would aliens or would anyone come here and want to speak to what is essentially mental illness? 
with the rational mind that has so dominated everything. I, I just don't. I just don't see that as happening. And yet, you know, to say that out loud is to either be uh, suffer from liberal guilt or to you know somehow hate people. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like all of that. All of that backlash will occur because I just said those words, and yet. Yeah, I think it's just true. It's like you've got something that is whole on the one hand, or more, more whole, <laughs> wholer, uh, and you've got something that is partial and that is mentally ill and that is destroying the earth, and that's the thing that we are, unfortunately. You know, that's, yeah, that's that's what I'm born into. The the, the you know, and, and I, I'd say I'm born in it too because look where I'm living, and it doesn't remove me from the actual processing of of domination or things like that. But I'm sent here by. Uh, like into another world, into a, to Mars, or if you will, I'm sent here to sort of tell the tell the people what my elders are telling me, you know. And and I agree that you know, in a sense, that without getting elitist or anything about that, indigenous peoples all over the world have not had have over a period of thousands of years understanding ourselves to be an part of or integral part of the processes and web of life. Now, that sounds like cliche, but understanding our stories and teaching as well as as well through this discern, I would say, spiritual discernment that life consists of and is always sustained by certain laws, not ours, not man-made. Not one natural law is man-made. Now, think about that. We have made our elders and our philosophers and our so-called spiritual ancestors and leaders all because of man-made laws. But when we think about the native view that those elders and spiritual ancestors and philosophers constantly remind the people to, to harmonize themselves ceremonially, ceremonial, how do you, ceremonial, uh, anyway, in the ceremonies and otherwise these natural laws are the only ones that can recognize those ceremonies because that's something that's inherent in all of us that we harmonize in a natural way with each other through music, through, through closing our eyes and contemplating without having to speak or write. Um, and that's more fulfilling than anything else, than any kind of money or greed or anything can bring because those are just addictions and they always have to look for it the, the next high. And as long as we uphold those natural laws, Mother Earth rights and responsibilities, that Native people, such as our hearts. And when I, we talk, it's funny, Jeremy, because when we talk as Lakota people, we're talking about the hearts of people as indigenous. We're not talking about the minds, because I can give you all the information I, I want to and try to convince you, but I'm not going to change anything until we look basically at the heart of all of us and that we need to understand live according to those laws that we all should and I think somewhere in all of them, all of us it's inherent to but now has been made virtually impossible in a sense because of the word I'm using that these natural laws that that native people have been abiding by have been outlawed by that very same dominating society and even today we don't have access and we are limited to sacred places and and and, you know, that are in people's backyards and lawns and government buildings and state parks and farms and ranches and national parks where more than 52 million acres were taken from native reservations. And this is where indigenous, indigenous, with, indigenous knowledge with earth would help in reconnecting 
those people that we're talking about that are not connected. So I think if we truly want to do something about it, because I, I know we're always looking for answers in this in this society, then we have to realize that the education we got really educated ourselves into internalizing that what we're doing to other people and what we think about other people are enabling people to live with those contradictions that are so non-human. And uh, it is very consistent. Well, do you think that we can do anything about it, or do you think that that takes mind and that what really needs to happen is just resting? <laughs> just, uh, I mean, really, it's a cessation of all of this stuff we're talking about that needs to occur. So how does that occur unless we just stop? That is the thing that we have no... We'd have no control of whether it goes or whether it stops. The human being does not and cannot do that. It's only our responsibility that we can do that. But Mother Earth has com- complete overall last first and last word without putting her into some god or goddess formula um, to, to say whether or not it has to stop. And I think she's doing that. She's doing that right now with, with the most kindness she can by saying, okay, I'm going to make a, a volcano explode over here and said, look, this is how you can, you, you do, I don't want you flying airplanes anymore. You know, I don't want you throwing bombs. She's going to do that. And finally, she's going to have enough. And we always say that it's part of our prophecies that it has to, it's gonna, if we leave it up to earth, it'll be fine. But if we keep leaving it up to ourselves, we won't be fine. And, and I think that is, there, there is really no, literally no answer because we have always done things backwards in um, the way the world flows. Uh, I'm speaking about Mother as Earth. It's in the opposite direction of who we are as humans. And once we understand the, the direction she's trying to tell us to go to, then we become the beings that she wants us to be. Her, you know, without having to put everything in the, the newly think, new thinking process of science rationale and religious rationale. Once we remove those two rationales, I think we'll be fine. I think so. there's so many people that think they're superior that it's only speaking of their inferiority. And um, it's just, it's almost, you get to a point where it's frustrating in a language because it's all it just spins. It just keeps spinning and nothing ever comes out of the language we use. And it's almost like it will never, never progress in a sense that it, it, it really, well, it does progress in a sense that it only makes things more complicated that were once very simple. And I think in the light of the new challenges, in a sense, posed by the climate crisis or climate intervention that we need to do, she is the one that is going to say, it's, it's time, and if we don't remember, then we forget and we've forgotten, then it's, it's, there's, no, there's no answer. We're, we're done. We're done as a species, and I think... That type of thinking that we live by, the privileged mind, elite, transcendent set, you know, where we become so so heavenly that we're no earthly good anymore, they're gone. And those people won't survive. And I'm sorry to say that, but that's part of our prophecies. Is there going to be a point where you personally stop and you go and be simple? I, yes. And I was told that, and that's my total trust in what I was told. That when when it's time, I will know, 
um, not like some sign out of heaven. It just happens inside. If I'm aware, continue to be aware from inside and to the outside without trying to say and, and put it into my mind where I'm, okay, I'm looking for that sign from outer space or something. It's time to change. It's how I feel inside and how the energy is either negative or positive and still a language. Oh, man, I don't know how to say this, but it's, it's almost like I'm being fragmented all the time by the language. Mm -hmm. The reasoning takes you apart left and right, and it always keeps you in confusion. And it's always non-spiritual. It always puts you in some linear religious fashion to explain everything. Because it tries to tell you that you're independent and that you're an individual, and you should be I or me and not we and us as connected. Right. So when I'm listening to those voices, in a sense, it's going to be time, and I'll know it, because that's how it started. Mm -hmm. Well, in a way, this is what I was sort of getting at in the beginning when I was saying that you've got an integrated metaphorical system in you that we put into language that's just that the mind puts into mind language, but is, is actually part of you when you're living from the heart. And I think when we encounter that, we see it as signs in nature or synchronicity, um, and we get all excited, right? It's like, oh, God is speaking to me in some way, but it's not that. It's it's just simply knowing how to read life uh, because you are part of life, and so life talks to life all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jeremy, I say this all in a sense of inclusion about everybody, and it really hurts me to try to be individualistic about this, and I'm afraid sometimes that I'm conveying the wrong message um, because I think that most of human existence has been on the path of original instruction. You know, we can say those words really don't mean anything in Lakota, but in English they're taken and, and removed and something that's removed is peace and love and abundance, you know, that type of stuff. But when, when you are awake, you understand to be humble and respectful in that same understanding that we are not discovering anything new that we are merely getting on the path where we are with and must be in cognizance, awareness of everything that we've been disconnected from. And basically our hearts and our souls, primarily perceiving everything through the mind. And that's just one of, of things. And the mind is, for, for, for our sake, is mindless in a sense. Because we, we put so much, we have so much at stake in the mind that it mind over matter type of thing, and like I before, you know, anything else, and we, we always are separating ourselves to be better because, you know, I'm thinking, well, what, what hurt them so much to separate themselves all the time? What hurt them? What did they, what are they not fessing up to? And, and in a sense, we become dead slaves, and like zombies, and we got our social security numbers, and we got our bank accounts, and blah, 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 on and on. And it's just not, it's not by accident. Right. If all peoples have been forced out of the indigenous ways for hundreds or thousands of years, and now most of us are asleep and have become part of that authority system or the matrix. And how do we get out of that? You know, there's, there's so many people that, that have answers in a sense, but not for anybody else. They only have it for themselves. And it comes back to when you really think about self, 
and it's irony that we don't know how what to do with self. We don't know how to take responsibility for self. We say it all the time. I, me, I, I, I. And, and it's almost like we're always shooting ourselves in the foot with that type of thinking. But I think it's the anger we feel from being separate from Earth and those other peoples who still are trying to live with Earth. We feel angry against them. We, 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 don't, we don't want to deal with them. We'll deny them. We won't put them on the radio, the TV. We won't put them in, in our conversation except to be the very shortest of conversations. And we're brainwashed against those natural and loving indigenous ways that we have in all of us. And I think it's the greatest con game of all time. Yeah, well, I, I wonder if it's it, it, it's not, you know, I think we both say basically the same thing in different words, which we're talking about being versus doing, and in, in being is all doing, but try telling that to a doer. <laughs> I mean, the doer, just in saying I am me, is setting themselves up as this individual thing, autonomous, cut off from the world, uh, trying to control, trying, you know, all of that, I mean, all of that stuff springs from just that original thing of saying, you know, I am, um, but it's the brain saying I am. It's not, it's not the I amness that is, you know, the thing that, that we are all a part of, if that makes sense. So I, I don't know. It's this weird thing if we're constantly running around in circles, trying to look for this fulfillment that is there when you stop running around in circles, looking for it. And I think that's when you end up back at heart, out of mind, but but I don't think... I think that's so much... I, I don't know, for some reason, I mean, people have known this for thousands of years, and they just don't... It doesn't sink in, other other than as, like, a logical exercise to say, well, that sounds true, you know? But nobody actually ever does it. Uh, and, and when I say nobody, of course, I'm not talking about you or the Lakota, because you never had this problem, you know, to begin with, it sounds like. I think that we did have that problem hundreds of thousands of years ago, and that's why we sort of learned our lesson, but now we're losing it again. Um, I think that we have, have lost the, the, the breath of and silence in what it means to be comfortably with Chasha Akantu. What that means is um, it, it's a term that's not isolated self or transcendence to a higher self or individualism or single mental definition. It's rather an experience of humankind and the oneness or integration and balance of it all. And the, the Lakota people, yes, have suffered an intergenerational trauma from having our languages and, and pressed by this government, who the people vote for, by the way, and they vote for its religions and its education system. And the oppression is... is it's also occurring and occurred and did great damage to that knowledge of how to respect Mother Earth or what we call Maka'ina. And now we are here to free that energy and bring a, a philosophy, I guess, Makasi Tomini, which means surround the universe. To hold the universe and care for it within your arms is the whole, whole words behind that, Makasi Tomini. But we often speak about the experience of spirit where it's not being a rational process that can be categorically measured or quantified. And that indigenous thinking process is, is always, as you know, relational and egalitarian, where everything is alive and everything is in energy. We don't even have the concept of, of time or the concept of death, of death. And that has a lot to do with what, 
how I can't explain things, you know, like in domination, where it's not even an idea or a concept, a word that is part of the Lakota John or Lakota life ways. And it is irrelevant to dominate and not important. It is not on the spiritual evolving process of how humans would become a human being. And we know that everything changes shape and form into this different energy. So in, in a way of quantum physics or relational thinking, everything is energy. Everything is spirit. And to start objectifying anything is, I think, our disconnection. And, and, and logically, we're not going to understand that because rational dogma usually explains these things through hierarchical, patriarchal, or matriarchal godhead or a religiosity of some kind. What, what about, um, I mean, you've seen our forums. Uh, there's inevitably going to be one or two people who come out and say, well, you're just, um, you know, you're romanticizing your own people, and that historically, of course, the Lakota had wars before the Europeans got here. Uh, there, you know, there was war, there was territorial issues and all that sort of stuff. How do you respond to that? All right, that, that's that's a good one. I always get that too. You know, it's like, oh, you, you're you're guilty too. But look, you have a TV. Um, I think it has to go back again with blaming others rather than accepting what is going on today at this time. Yes, we did. That's why we learned our relearned our language, our Earth language and Star language, and we have to relearn those things that we lost. It's always there. We just have to, as our elder says, to go back and find it. When one wants to point out, um, you know, the, the Lakota are just as guilty or just as bad as we are, then fine, I, include us. That, maybe that's that's how we have to do it. We have to include those bad Lakota people. But no, we never have romanticized ourselves. We don't want to do that. That, I think, is an American thing from, because Americans lack that in themselves, pride of being that, except for jingoism. You know, and being defeating an enemy or whatever, and that—that's where they lay it on the line. And that's nothing to do with energy. That's just energy. Well, it is, but it's a—it's misusing energy. And so, when when our elders understand these people who hurt, and often say, "Well, look at those those people. They're they're bad." Uh, okay, so if we're bad, how come there are only three million of us left? What we did did we do to you that was so bad that you have to get rid of all of us you know so you know just the other day there were three black hawk helicopters that landed on the wounded knee massacre site on may 1st and you know knowing what i know is that that day is is meant on may day it's a, originally a german um if if anything a, a fertile fertile or, or something uh uh uh, ceremony where the men and women participate and dance around as phallus and intertwine ropes or red and white ropes to to create. But in a sense, they the those who run by numerology and whatnot have to go and land on sacred site. These three Black Hawk helicopters, three April thirtieth at three thirty, where Hitler Hitler committed suicide. And so he would be remembered as 333. And the other thing, on, on this two-day ceremony on May 1st, they, they celebrate it to keep down the spirits and chaotic spirits of the ancestors so that they won't live, live in this, they won't be recognized in this dimension, so to speak. And that those of us living physically would be in control of it. 
And that's another way of separating ourselves because Native people always recognize the ancestors, that they are always among us. And, and when people fear um, indigenous peoples, knowing that we are always, even of Europe, that's why they, they initiated this type of ceremony is to get them away from recognizing their roots. So it goes down to the roots of who we are and origination of who we are. So when, we, when you and I round out ceremony together, that's what they don't want. They don't want Native people here to help other people become conscious of what they're really doing. And so if it is an alien race that we're afraid of, that Stephen Hawkins comes comes forward and saying, then, you know, it's our fear of the real people. Or maybe they are the real people. Maybe the real people is within us, but we are so caught up in this five five senses of physicality that we can't understand what real certain energies are that, that are here to help us already. I just hope I'm making sense, Jeremy. You are, but the, now you're getting into a whole other kettle of fish, which is whether there are government or military people who are using numerology to torture you in some way. Um, and I, I go back to Melissa Reed, our, our mutual friend, said that when she went out to the Star Nations gathering and you know had met Standing Elk and been in his home, that he had gotten a call from... I believe it was CIA people, but it could have been NSA. I'm not sure, but he knew who they were. I mean, they were talking to him, and and uh, they're people who follow him and tail him. And I know that there are a lot of legal issues that um, you know Lakota have had with the church, right? Even recently, um, well, as of now, <laughs> yeah, uh, that I think are so completely off the radar of our media and our attention. I don't even know if this is something that, that can be summed up or talked about briefly. You, you tell me. I mean, it, what is this connection between white government and Native Americans and the church and Native Americans? Uh, what, are they, what are they doing? What are they doing to you or, or with you? What, what is going on here? What is this relationship? Well, I think in its control or its... its um mandate to to control and dominate earth that's that's born out of the papal bulls and even before that what they did to the indigenous europeans comes like at least 200 generations before what they did to us here and what they're still doing to us here that the people after 200 generations or so um thousands of years ago along with this mandate of thinking like religious people in dogmatic fashion where everybody else used to think of course, with Earth and those Earth changes and, and knowing that without thinking it's some kind of uh, primitive way to practice um, energy, with energy in a proper way. But when it comes to Native people here, it, it's simple for us. It's a spiritual warfare because we are the ones connected with Earth as, as much as we can be. We are connected with Earth and we understand that it is a being. We've always called her Mother Earth. We always understand its natural processes. When it comes to capitalism or democracy as it is, it's always about dominating, always telling everybody else how to be free. And, and stupid people have gone along with it. You know, I, I fight for freedom. I fight for democracy. I vote. And, and it's a system. It is a system that it's capitalism, just as communism or socialism is meant to take resources and drain Earth of her energy. And that's all it is, because, you know, and then we'll move on, just like we, we come and 
bomb another country and then we promise to rebuild it. And yet all it's all about is control. Everything is about control. Um, you know, and, and when, when CIA, FBI, I don't think there's not one native person who is involved politically and spiritually with who they are. This FBI, CIA is going to visit. It's going to happen. Um, and I mean, it's always happened, you know, you know, even if it's hiring somebody else to threaten you. Um, there are Americans who fall into that category and want to, to pull or kowtow or, or toe the line for democracy and freedom when everything to me is, is there's, there, the questions about this are, are all hypothetical. Well, do, do they know? I, I mean, is there a group that knows, for instance, about the star people um, every bit as much as you do? I mean, why would somebody call up? I, I think what he had said, what Stanley Elk had said happened was, you know, called him up and said, uh, so what are you going to talk about at, at the first, you know, Star Nations gathering? You know, you're not going to say too much, are you? You know, what are you going to what are you going to say? And he greeted them by name. Like, he knows that these people are watching him. He knows them by name because they tap his phone and follow him around. What are they snooping about? Do they know something? I mean, this gets into sort of the X-Files type stuff that that Jeff and I try to avoid on the show, but yeah. maybe some of it's real. I don't know. I mean, do you know? What what, what is that about? It's real. Um, it's happened. Um, if you go back and read other journals or logs or, or books or uh, anything with Native people, especially from what I know of the Lakota people, it's been happening since the late 1800s. It's been happening, you know, when the Roswell and all America is going crazy nut, you know, nut over that, you know. Want to be alien, want to be like, look, we're going to be saved finally. We're always looking for that salvation point mentality. Because if, if Native people here help other people understand that the power is within them and not some religion or political system, then that's the real wake-up call that they are trying to avoid or help or try, trying to um, prevent all people from, from realizing that, you know, there's no one who can have control of you, that you have personal sovereignty without having to have religion or politics. And they're telling you all the time, this is the way you must be, this is the way you must think in order to feel free. And and as Daryl Standing Elk, um, as, as um, other indigenous people here on this planet have known, you know, the biggest threat to their control is the, the littlest, the littlest threat. We, um, as indigenous peoples, so when they are coming into our ceremonies, when they are observing our ceremonies, when they think that they're going to get it, there's always this trickster. The trickster comes along, and it's always this irony of, of that there's something imperfect about what they're doing, and they know it. They want they want to be the first ones to tap into what we have because they're and the thing that prevents them from understanding is their rational thinking. There's always something that we cannot interpret into their language. Even when they come to try to understand our language and they learn it very well, they have to take a lifetime to learn what we really mean. And then maybe they'll get it. But if they're going to come in and observe us for a couple of weeks or tail us for years, it's not going to happen because of the way they think about who we are. And, uh, geez, how come those Native peoples talk with these aliens? How come they, they know something that we don't? Oh, we're scared of them. We better tail them around because we're fearful that they, they really might take control and tell everybody else that that, that uh, the government at large is not in control after all. 
And I think that that is the promise that we have. It's a covenant that we have with these so-called aliens. And even in, in physical modern modernity right now, let's, let's make a wall. Let's keep those illegal aliens out because they don't belong in this country. Yet what is the truth of that at all? You know, there's no truth at it at all. So it's all this illusion, you know, and it's, it's, it's making shows like X-Files to make it seem like, oh, it's unattainable. So I think when, when you have less... When you have less of colonial thinking, when you have less of rational thinking, I know it may be too hard for most people to even think about what I'm saying, but when you have less and we don't have to think so much, and you start feeling and going moving about naturally with intuitive value, you understand what Standing Elk is talking about because those FBI or those CIA or whoever they are are never going to understand, never, ever. Because if you, if you read the books, if, I mean, even take the books and go into what the FBI was talking about and trying to understand, they have no explanation. So I think that the sacredness is to keep people from understanding that sacredness and, and, and that good energy has no explanation. And that's uncontrollable. Those Indians are uncontrollable. So we'll put them into labels of wild, stupid, under, you know, and casino rich, whatever. Anybody can be that. You know, so I think Americans are becoming the new Indians. Well, why do you think you, as opposed to the Dalai Lama, I mean, the Dalai Lama doesn't have um, a red dot on his forehead from from a gun off in a distance every time he makes a statement in America, but, but that was another thing that Melissa had mentioned about that first uh, Star Nations gathering. People had laser dots on their heads, like they were trying to intimidate you and by saying we could just shoot you at any time here. So why what you're saying versus the Tibetans or something along those lines? Any well, idea? Is it, is it just your status in society that they feel they can intimidate you and get away with it? That's part of it. But I also think that, you know, the Dalai Lama comes from a Buddhist background. And I think from limited knowledge that I have of Buddhism, it's dogmatic. And anything that's viewed in dogma is going to always be non-threatening because then they can control dogma in the sense of it being a religion. But yeah, he can come around and, and, and just keep leading people in, into dogma and that type of thinking. But it's the other people who, who, whose religion has been banned. And I know in China, the Tibetans have been banned, but not Buddhism. Buddhism is still alive and active in China. But the Tibetans are. Now, when, when I encountered the real Tibetans, and they are not so much into Buddhism, that they are indeed natural peoples and, and accepting and all that, but they, they have to, they're almost de-religionizing de themselves, decolonizing themselves, de-rationalizing themselves, and, and becoming a, the people that they would want themselves to be in recognizing life non-religiously. So when when here I am having trouble with English again. Um, when, when the Dalai Lama takes a trip to the Andes Mountains, when he goes down there and people are asking him, why are you always coming to the Andes Mountains? And, and when, when he replies, because people say that I am the last Dalai Lama to be born, that there will never be another Dalai Lama, and he will acknowledge that. He said, that may be true. That may be true, but the reason why 
all these emissaries from the Tibetan people are coming to, to the Andes Mountains and to the land of the condor and the eagle, is that the energy has moved. The medicine, the compassion has moved to the, the Andes Mountains. And this was years ago, probably a good seven to ten years, if, 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 soon, if not earlier. Um, that he says that the next energy, the next Dalai Lama does not have to be a Dalai Lama, does not have to be Buddhist, does not even have to be Tibetan, does not have to be any religious religious figure, but that the next Dalai Lama is coming from the mountains somewhere in the Western world, and he they think it comes from the Andes, Andes mountains. And if you connect these energies with the Nazca Plains, with, with the Dalai Lama, what he said, with uh, you know, the movement that is indigenous now, that is, that is moving and growing in a good way. You're going to find alternatives. You're going to find mainstream media looking against them. Because where does this so-called alternative and mainstream media to us as indigenous people come from? It's the same system. So it's going to have to do something to keep those that, that energy of compassion away from the rest of the people. Because what, what happens when the rest of the people have compassion? Dang, it's not profitable. There's no war. We can't, we can't, you know, we can't go and destroy the people. We have to look at, you know, living here on earth with balance and stop killing her. You know, what is the, the thing that can happen with all of us? So when FBI, when, you know, religions... You know, comparably, one is dogma, one is egalitarian. Who are they going to say is is the most threat? You know, when religion is accepted so well uh, through Judeo Christianism, through you know Islam, through anything, it's dogmatic. It's always taking you away from the very source of life. Yet it has it has the poetry and it's it's pretty and clever in saying that no, it still includes us when it when it's not living that way. Hmm. Wow. Well, uh, you, we've certainly gone the hour, and thank you, but let, let me ask you, if I may, one more question. Just to tell us briefly, you, you spoke at the UN two weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, what was, what happened? <laughs> tell, tell us that story. Well, What were you, you speaking know, about, first of all? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Once a year, the permanent United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues awarded two to 3,000 delegates from all over not NGOs, non-governmental organizations come to the United Nations. They're given a place for two weeks, and it's the first time that it was held in a general assembly where all, you know, the, the formal, the big thing that we see on the news with the green stone behind it and all this, with the secret chambers and all. But um, this is where I begin the whole general assembly um, uh, and spoke and sang basically about... Um, a pride of the people, a pride of the nation, uh, who we are as human beings has returned to the side of the world, if not all the planet, and that it, it's changed. We have a few years left, and, and many of us will not recognize the change within ourselves, outside of ourselves, that we depend too much on a foreign way of thinking and how to see that change. And so there will be slower for us to see that Mother Earth is really in crisis and that we need to think in intervention urgency, intervention minds about what we need to do to, to uh, you know, stop what we are doing to Earth. And those people who are alive with spirit and, and mindful spirit, 
uh, will be able to help Mother Earth because she's calling. If you were beating your Mother Earth up so bad or someone was doing it to you, you know, naturally you would want to step forward and start doing something regardless if it took your life or not. At least you're trying to, to save or help, in those words, um, to help Earth, your mother, from dying. And I think um, the songs that I sung to open up the whole the whole session um, said those things. Because after I said, and, and I, you know, when you're up on stage, when you're up in front of thousands of people, you really feel like you're being connected and the words being fed through you. And I didn't have anything prepared. Um, I went and said these words in, in respect of all peoples and all life on earth that, uh, you know, this is the way we are now and we need to become humble. We need to be, to, to ensure that we can still be part of this life rather than thinking that we are not in fear of death, rather than thinking that we're, we're living, uh, thinking in death terms, and fear terms. So please accept us, please respect us, and please know that we are humble and that we are here now and we have never gone anyplace and that the, the rest of peoples understand who we are because if they get rid of us, they, they, they too will surely die. This is Phil Imbrogno, paranormal investigator and scientist. Sometimes you're listening to Paratopia. If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it. We take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. Esoteric research and investigation into the enigmatic. Eerie Radio is a weekly podcast that features interviews with the world's leading paranormal researchers. Download episodes of Eerie Radio from your favorite podcatcher or directly from the show website at www.eerieradio.com. Eerie Radio. Listen. Learn. Laugh. Do you uh, want me to promote anything? Your radio show? Your uh, album? Anything? Just, just first voices indigenousradio.org um, to learn about uh, those things that we talk about because I'm not the only native person speaking about these things. I may say it in more of a, a hurting language if somebody disagree with it. And, and I welcome that disagreement because that's what the Spirit says. That's what comes out of my heart today. And if anybody's hurt by it, um, I, I apologize, but I don't think 
I don't think I've killed anybody with it. I think they're still breathing and, and the heart's still beating and, you know, all the five senses are still there. One thing that I wanted to do is make sure that if it did happen and they did awaken somehow, there's no explanation for it. There's just a resonance of it. We need to pay attention to that. But thank you very much, Jeremy. And uh, Jeff, right? Jeffrey? So yep. take care, guys. Take care, okay? Take care. Thank you. So the Jeff. So the Jer. Oh, wait. Jeff's not here to blast through the speakers with his ultrasonic microphone. <laughs> Paratopia, it's Jeremy. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jer, is that two for 20 sale still going on? Well, yes, it is. So if you send me an email at paratopiapodcast at gmail.com, you'll get my DVD and my book for $20. Oh, wait. Now you're probably wondering, now that you're flying solo, are you just going to be shilling for yourself? And I guess probably that market's been cornered. So no, I won't. But what I will do is go over a few things uh, that we touched upon in this episode that maybe I can shed a little more light on. Well, first of all, I find it fascinating that for thousands of years there's been this war between mind and heart if you want to call it that, or um, dogma and rationality versus indigenous thinking. I mean, that's just, it's an interesting way to look at this, I think, because, you know, Teokson talks about the Lakota because he is Lakota, but he's really not talking about the Lakota per se. He's talking about any people around the globe who are in tune with uh, Mother Earth and therefore themselves. And the idea that, that there are government agencies, uh, and I had said the CIA or the NSA, but I, I think he was right when he said FBI. I think it was the FBI that had been monitoring um, Standing Elk and the Star Nations gathering. In any event, that they or that the church would actively and covertly try to suppress Native Americans and, as he said, Native Europeans before Native Americans – I think is a fascinating, if horrible, thing to ponder. And what would that war be about? It's interesting to me because I've always sort of, well, I shouldn't say I've always, I should say that since my quote-unquote enlightenment uh, process started, I reconsidered the story of Adam and Eve. And I'm not a big Bible thumper or reader by any stretch, uh, but it just sort of came to me that, um, that that story is really about leaving the indigenous mind, the web of life mind, the interconnectedness, uh, receiving instruction from on high and being a tool of that oneness beyond the self, leaving all of that for the self, leaving that for knowledge, leaving that for the time stream, and that that was the great sin. <laughs> and from that original choice you have all other choices, which are all wrong, which is why we all live in sin, right? We all live in sin because we made that one free will choice away from, in biblical terms, God. In indigenous terms, away from Mother Earth or from spirit. So it's sacrificing the greater self or the greater all, of which we are pieces, um, to say, I am. I am an individual. I am essentially God. And then, you know, a whole bunch of gods get together 
and um, and they create these mind constructs through art and through architecture and through writing and through you know eventually politics and domination and all of that stuff all of that what we consider processes of higher mind are actually not processes of higher mind they're processes of a mind that has refused its place in the natural pecking order of integrated self, if that makes sense. And so if that's the great sin from which all of their sins fall, then how is it that the church would want to stamp out the indigenous? Because it's right there in their own Bible that that's actually what we need to get back to. And the simple answer to that might be that although religions speak of spiritual laws or not man-made laws, let's say, they institutionalize them. And so once you institutionalize them, you take the natural, you take the universal, that is the instruction born of the now, born of being, and you put it into the time stream and you give it to mind, the, the, the very mind that has separated itself from, from heart um, and set itself up as the pinnacle the, in the hierarchy. It gives itself a hierarchy and it says, I'm the best. Um, so once you institutionalize truth, it becomes dogma. It's no longer truth. Even if it speaks truth, even if the words are truth, it ain't truth no more. And I think this actually gets into when Teokasin says um, that language basically is a barrier, that just even speaking this in English... Um, makes him feel fragmented. It's actually very tiring. <laughs> it, it, this is a hard thing to explain for anyone who, who doesn't live from that centered self. Uh, he calls it living from the heart. You can call it that. You can call it living from the centered self. You can call living it from the point of view of oneness or living in the moment. I mean, all of those things are sort of getting at this other state of uh, mind that is not born of the brain. It is not born of the brain's ability to rationalize and to make sense of the world. It's not born of the senses. It is a thing that, in fact, the brain, the senses, the rational, are embedded in. And so our, our brains believe that we're either you know, exploring reality through the senses, we're experiencing uh, reality and the new, um, or we're co-creating it, right? These are sort of the basic things that we say we're doing, but... And, and they're true from certain perspectives, but the ultimate objective perspective is that all of that and more is happening inside of being. And so when you're in tune with being, extraneous doing uh, is hard work. <laughs> it, it really is. And it, it's hard to even, it's hard to wrap words around this because you have to come from that place to understand that place and to understand why it's a chore even talking about this right now. Um, but I'll, I'll give it a shot here. The mechanics of it basically go like this. You have psychological time, past, present, future, which is how the vast majority of us around the world live. And you have the now, which is the timeless moment in which time exists. So the timeless transcends and includes time. You see? So it's not higher. It's not hierarchical. 
because it transcends. It doesn't transcend and do away with. It transcends and includes time. So when you're someone like Teokasin and you are centered in the timeless now moment or the momentless moment, see these words get all jumbly and confusing, but when you come from there, come from the heart, if you will, um, then your actions don't reflect the instruction of the brain-born self, the self that you and I say we are and that we greet the world with, is a delusion for us. But for him, it's a tool of the heart or of being, the being in which we are all embedded. The being in which we are all embedded has its own instruction. You can call this instruction truth. You can call it universal laws. You can call it natural law natural order of things, you know, whatever term you'd like to use, that is what being informs the brain body with when you, the self, get reintegrated or reorganized back into the health of the system. So let me try to clarify this one more time. You have being, which includes everything in it, right? You've got being. Let's just call it being. And within being exist organisms, in our case, us, humans, that have the ability to manifest the self-awareness of that larger, all-encompassing being. And that self-awareness comes through as truth or laws, natural laws, natural instruction, that sort of thing. However, humans also have the ability to cut off from that source and become their own source the source of their own brains. But the brain as source model is actually based on fear. Fear of death, fear of the unknown. It's another show for another time. <laughs> but suffice to say, now we, we have in humanity these two basic minds. One is the indigenous mind, which is in tune with and receiving instruction from timeless being. And the other is a divergent mind running from timeless being into time, basically modeling psychological time on physical time, basically observing and sensing, and from those observations and from those senses, uh, in through fear, creating a quote-unquote reality for itself, and building and believing that it's evolving and believing all of this stuff that from the timeless perspective is nonsense. It's actually running away from the truth of itself. But the mind that runs from the truth of itself believes it's not running from anything. It believes it is evolving up out of. Right? So you've got one mind that says, I am evolving out of these primitives who, you know, barely wear any clothing and putts around in the forest and all of this. And you've got the other mind that understands what that divergent mind can't understand, which is itself and the fact of its running away. So the indigenous mind is very patient. <laughs> the indigenous mind, as we've seen even with the Kogi, who refer to us as little brother. Uh, I mean, how amazing is it that we're little to these people that we consider dirt, Right. And how amazing is it that we are brother and sister to these people that we would destroy so that we can, you know, take lumber 
to make chairs and desks with or take gold to prop up our monetary system, you know, whatever it is, we don't care about them. And they love us. I mean, just think about that. Think about how amazing that is. Now, of course, none of this is to romanticize any of that because they have their problems too. And they have, you know, because essentially you still do have this thing of the little self, the brain-born self. But I think the roles of influence, let's say, are reversed so that with the divergent mind or the Western mind, um, that is the brain-born self doing its best to block out truth, still receives truth because we're embedded in it. It's, it's difficult not to. <laughs> uh, so even that mind will, it'll come in through our filters, it'll come in indirectly, and we'll try our best to incorporate it into this dreamscape we're making. We'll, we'll call it God, we'll say we're being talked to by uh, Jesus or God or we're being given a sign or you know all that sort of stuff. Um, we're special. You know, we'll, we'll warp it into this thing that it isn't. The other, the indigenous mind, uh, primarily exists as a tool of truth. But it, too, has its own brain self that, even though that brain self is, is better incorporated, integrated into, let's call it right order, proper order, um, it still is a brain self. It still has its own volition, its own will, uh, but that will is the thing that is uh, better blocked out, let's say, or kept in check. So with Western mind, the thing that's kept in check is truth. With indigenous mind, the thing that's kept in check is the brain-born self, thought. But it's not a perfect um, system in that you, you can't completely block it out. And so you still end up with similar... Um, sorts of troubles, but not exactly the same and not to the same degree um, as we Westerners would like to believe. So when you hear Teokasin railing against or speaking against uh, the system, it's not because of some Lakota nationalism. It's He's speaking about indigenous mind, of which the Lakota are, uh, of course, a part of, tapped into, working from. But it can be mistaken for nationalism, right? Because that's all we have to go by. That's So you hear, like, oh, angry native, <laughs> you know? Uh, oh, he's just a pissed-off Indian. Um, I mean, that might be how some of you receive what he's saying, but it's. It, I hope you see now that it's not that. It's, it's not nationalism, and that's just our filter of not wanting to hear that there is this thing called truth that we are not tapped into because, again, that mind is the thing that we believe we're evolving out of that Teokasin might say we're running from. We run from the heart. We run from the true self because the brain-born self wants to remain in control because it fears, again, the unknown. It fears death, death of self, death of itself. Now, obviously, I'm not going to be solving the mysteries of humanity here and, you know... 20 or 30 minute monologue, but um, I hope that gives you a flavor of what this is that we're talking about. And so maybe it'll help you also to understand what it means to say that it is difficult to, uh, it feels fragmenting or, or fracturing. It feels like it's, he's fracturing himself by even putting this into words because you're basically taking timeless in instruction, something that lives 
in that now, in that timeless moment, lives there and bringing it to the time stream for you and I to hear. So he has to actually leave the heart and leave the centered self to communicate this. Whereas if he's with the Lakota or with, one assumes, any indigenous people from around the world, they don't have to talk about all of this. In fact, they probably don't verbalize much. And I just know from my own quote-unquote spiritual stuff that this is true, that it is very tiring to speak like this, um, not because it's hard to, not just in formulating the words and and trying to say the right, proper, precise thing, uh, but that you are taken out of your centered self. You're taken out of your center to communicate in a way that in the center is extraneous. And this gets into a whole other kettle of fish, too. This gets into the difference between knowing and knowledge or intelligence and intellect. Someone who comes from intelligence to speak to people who are trapped in intellect, that's someone who, well, that that just doesn't work because you're not getting the full picture of intelligence. You're boxing it into intellect, into what you already know. You're, you're, You're comparing it. And you're asking questions from that comparison, which is already wrong. So you hear something, and part of it might make sense, and part of it doesn't. Uh, And then you ask a question that you think is going to illuminate it, but it can illuminate it for you, because you don't work in that broader transcendent sense. You work out of this little tiny box. Uh, And this, again, gets into a whole problem of alien contact, quote-unquote alien contact, which is, you know, why why couldn't they just come here and land and, and um, you know, shake our hands and sign peace treaties? Or why wouldn't they come here and plunder Earth and Earth's resources for their own means? You know, all of these things that make sense to us because we can grasp them intellectually because we've experienced them because we've done them, that does not apply to one who is alive in and being instructed from the larger transcendent intelligence. That only applies to us and anyone who is trapped in brain self uh, and fear and running and and all of that. And so when Teokasen says he doesn't think that that these beings we call aliens are looking and judging us uh, from the same standards that we believe they would because that's how we would, I think he's right. I don't think they look at our intellectual progress. I don't think they look at, well, these people are ready to move out into space. I don't think that's, we're delusional. And so we think that that's what they'd be looking at. They'd be looking at how we evolved and how we're the pinnacle creature of Earth. But really, if these aliens were living in a broader sense of intelligence, they would be looking at, the scope of our intelligence. How well integrated are we into oneness, into that bigger picture? Not how have we diverged and split off and become our own autonomous selves. I mean, that's that's running away. That That's ridiculous. That's not evolution. And I think Teokasin said this very clearly and eloquently when he gave the example of humans coming up out of amoebas. You know, we come up out of amoebas, we come up out of the ocean, we come up onto land, we we evolve, we evolve, we evolve, 
And we see that as evolving into something that is better than what we were. And that's when you come from the mind, when you come from the heart, you say, oh, we're no different than the amoeba. We're no different than the creatures of the ocean. We're no different than the monkeys on the land or the land itself. All of this is not an evolution out of something into something. It's a flow. The flow is timeless. The experience of that flow from within itself, you know, can occur in points in time for us. But to think that those points in time indicate becoming better in some way is arrogance. All of it is to be respected because all of it is you. Um, so that's that. <laughs> and scene. Uh, now let's move on here and just talk about the new direction of the show a little bit. Um, the new direction, of course, is user content generated. So if we're going to do this, we're, we're going to need your user content. So please email Jeff or me your ideas at peritopiapodcast at gmail.com. And once we approve what you want to do, get us the audio file because we need some indication that you are interested in this beyond just saying, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, I really want to do this. Well, you got to actually do it. So that's your challenge. Let's do it. Or if not, then the podcast is over. <laughs> I mean, these are these are our options, people. <laughs> um, but I just need a better indication that, that this is going to actually happen. Um, I mean, we have one audio file already, and we have a, a couple of promises. So just get the material in, please. And I think that's all I got here. Next week is my interview with the most requested person we have not yet had on the show, uh, Dean Radin. So for those of you who have been jonesing for Peritopia to look into psi phenomena more, here it is. I don't know of a bigger name in psi research than Dean Radin. So that's next week. Thanks again, Teokasin, for doing this chat and for being a part of this show. And thanks, everyone, for listening. For Jeffrey Ritzman, I am Jeremy Vaney, signing off. Peace. Uh, thank you very much for doing this one last time. Um, and I don't know if you know, um, but we're we're changing the format of the show. Okay. Uh, so that we're basically, Jeff and I are, after the next five episodes, are sort of leaving the show and producing it for whoever wants to take over because we have the large audience. So we figured, eh, <laughs> maybe it's time we shut up and, and let people start thinking for themselves and expressing themselves and all of that. Um, but anyone who's ever been on the show, you've got this time anytime you want it. Uh, so just to let you know, if you ever need two hours, we've got an audience of somewhere in the realm of 120,000 people. So if you want that time for any reason at all, you could record it yourself or I'll record it for you. It doesn't matter to me. Just let me know and I'll, uh, and I'll, I'll put that on the air for you. Well, well, you know, I, I, sorry to see or hear that, but I think you guys will be back because you're feeling something. And, um, 
you have ties to it. I think it's part of your connection or, or awakening other people's connection within themselves. So I don't think you guys are going anywhere because you've, you've, you've gone past your experimental stage into experience stage. Right. And so now you know what gives you life is by hearing hearing the, the so-called extreme, extremity of thinking, mm-hmm. either left or right. So I think that instilling the sacredness and magic into knowing something is here now and we can't let that go we can't no matter what we try to do once you know forget about it you know 